Welcome, listening friend. If this is your first time listening, then you are blissfully unaware of all the things that might seem to be pretty good on the surface, but are actually completely terrible, mm-hmm. and you should avoid like the plague. Oh, uh, I should clarify there. Avoid like the plague before COVID, back when people actually avoided plagues. <laughs> wow, that's a really mm-hmm. outdated reference now, isn't it? If you're amongst our regular listeners, you already know how secretly terrible makeup and crinolines are. So what's one more? So what if it's your favorite holiday? Does that mean we can't absolutely rip it to shreds with all kinds of (laughs) bummer factoids from a bygone era? If we didn't, then how would you know you're listening to... You might recognize December 25th, unless you're Faye, (laughs) as as Christmas, a holiday you've probably heard of. (laughs) What day is it? The 20th? Does it change year to year? No, Faye, it's always the 25th. (laughs) It's somewhere around the end. Yeah, you got the the general idea. I get the month right, at least. Yeah, points for that. But a far cry from the holiday you likely know and possibly love is the Christmas that humans celebrated from ye olden times up through the Victorian era. Mm -hmm. Because historically, December 25th is a night synonymous with telling terrifying tales, child torture, and cannibalism. Oh, and mistletoe. Hmm. Don't forget that festive mistletoe. Before it was used as a shrubbery to trade lip spit with someone (laughs) under, it was used for a far more nefarious purpose. Murder. (laughs) Our modern American Christmas is an incessant barrage of candy cane-fueled wishes of jolly fun times assaulting your senses every time we look at a cafe menu. And every single commercial that bombards your peepers when you just want to binge watch some mindless show and avoid your life is trying to convince you to... Buy a fancy new car and a ring and a jet ski for your loved ones or yourself because you deserve it. I do. Just don't tell your wife or whatever because (laughs) apparently December is the time of year that all your financial issues suddenly vanish and you can pamper yourself stress-free while indulging in luxury goods. Mm -hmm. Mm. If you haven't heard of Christmas, please write us and tell us your secret. (laughs) Were you raised in a home without a television or radio? Did you grow up with an order of monks who took a vow of silence? Was there only a pack of wolves to look after you? And if so, did they prefer to observe Independence Day? If you grew up with a pack of wolves, then you probably celebrate Wolf Newt instead. At least since it was made up by someone's kid in 2018. If you weren't raised by wolves and you haven't heard of Wolf Newt, it's a holiday that is celebrated on the 23rd of November. It was created by a seven-year-old boy from New Zealand to celebrate the spirit of the wolf, Mm. other canines included, and the people who love them. His mom thought it was cute and put it on Twitter where it went viral because who doesn't love celebrating dogs? Mm. If you want to celebrate Wolf Newt, it involves hiding small gifts around the house and the people who have historically been kind to dogs get gifts that are better than anyone else's. As a person who has historically been kind to dogs, I fully support this. You eat roast meat and decorate a cake with a full moon and enjoy a holiday that didn't originate with one group of humans invading, killing, or crushing the spirit of another culture. How unique! 
If you're wondering where death comes in, uh, it doesn't. It's just a super cute holiday where nothing bad happens. I want my money back. <laughs> Unless you're vegan or vegetarian. Oh. Aha! That's where the death comes in. So it's mostly just a cute holiday. If you're waiting to hear about a not-cute holiday, one that's wrapped up in death's icy grip, <gasps> keep listening, because some of you might be surprised to find out. It's Christmas. If you listened to our Halloween episode, you might recall that we talked a bit about how Christian missionaries made a point to appropriate pagan holidays so as to let them keep some of their stuff while wooing them over to Christianity back in... Mm, before you were born. Don't worry about it. Yeah. This blending of pagan and Christian tradition led to the Halloween that we know and love today, and Christmas has followed a similar path. In 340 AD, one of them popes... <laughs> one of them are popes. One of them, our popes, decided to celebrate Jesus' birthday on December 25th, even though Jesus was likely born in the spring or September or some <laughs> other time. Because the pagans the Pope was wooing had their winter solstice festivals around that date. There were also Saturnalia celebrations at the end of December, making it easier to co-opt and Christianify that time of year. Oh, you're already having some wild parties? Well, why not party for Jesus while you're at it? And if you've ever spent any significant amount of time around drunk people, you know it's always easy to convince people who are already in the bag to keep partying for a reason they will immediately forget. Mm -hmm. Shots for Saturn! Yeah, woo! Shots for Saturn! All right, now let's all do shots for the solstice! Yeah, woo! Shots for the solstice! Okay, now everybody, let's do shots for Jesus! Yeah, woo! Shots for Jesus! Shots for carnivorous trees! I don't know, they just start naming shit around them. Would they have known what coniferous trees were then? I think they would have known that some trees lose their leaves and some don't. Sure. Shots for door frames. Shots for maybe someday inventing a postal service. How old is the idea of mail? Wait, no. There were messenger birds and shit. All right. Better quit while I'm ahead. And so on. Until everyone in the place is wasted and no one remembers why they were partying anymore. Just that they at one time had a job and they might have to do it again someday. But that's nothing that they actually have to worry about right now or nothing. So now, from the day after Thanksgiving until that last week of December, we have been getting mother holiday cheer <laughs> jammed down our throats for I can't even remember how long. Except now, you know, Christmas creep has made its way to the days preceding Halloween, the best day of the year. <laughs> Whose idea was this? Who? I blame Macy's. I want to speak to the man in charge. Yeah, get the president on the line. Stat. Well, I meant some pope of old, but oh. I guess I'll have to pray on that. <laughs> Thoughts and prayers, and nothing else. So, as it turns out, Christmas has even more in common with Halloween than you might think. Woohoo! Yes! The origins of Christmas are darker and more sinister than all of those Hallmark Channel made for TV movies about accidentally marrying Santa's son, <laughs> who is also a prince, on Christmas Eve would have you believe. Christmas, as celebrated in Europe and the U.S., was originally connected to the pagan winter solstice celebration and the Germanic and Roman festivals of Yule and Saturnalia, respectively. 
<laughs> this time when the darkest day of the year was celebrated was seen by many as a time when the dead would have particularly good access to the living. Ooh, yeah. So again, if you listen to our Halloween episode, uh, you should probably go back and listen to our Halloween episode. And then come back and listen to this episode. And then like them both and subscribe because you don't know how long you went without a sassy dames in your life. So now that you've listened to our Halloween episode, it is fresh in your mind that Halloween falls right around when ancient peoples of all sorts knew that the veil, shroud, the shroud between our world and the unearthly lurking spirits of the dead and all manner of mischievous pixie and goblin was and is the thinnest. This meant that one misstep could have you fall into the clutches of a hungry ghost or a menacing fairy, resulting in death. And since children are, generally speaking, the worst, yeah. parents have used this as a threat to keep those crazy kiddos in line for centuries. Unless you're listening to this podcast, then you're the best. Then you're awesome. <laughs> Won't share your toys with your little sister, Prunhilda? Krampus will stuff you in a sack and eat you for dinner. If you know who Krampus is, just hang out for a minute while the rest of the class catches up. And if you don't, well, girl, we're about to rock your world. So even if you don't know who Krampus is, you're probably familiar with the term good cop, bad cop. Think of Santa as the good cop. If you're good all year, he brings you presents. Yay! Now, some people think that if you're bad, Santa brings you coal. And I guess you've learned your lesson. But, you see, these people are a bit overly altruistic for me. Because not getting the latest top-of-the-line iPhone might be enough for some kids. But there are others that are little demons. And they uh, need some stronger medicine. And that medicine, my friends, comes from Austro-Bavarian Alpine folklore, or thereabouts, depending on what you've heard. And his name is Krampus. <laughs> Krampus is the original bad cop. If you've been shaking in your boots at the thought of receiving a lump of coal in your stocking this year, you're not thinking big enough. Mm. If you've been bad and Krampus catches wind of it, you might just find yourself stuffed in a sack and whisked away from your home and family to teach you a thing or two. He might devour you if you're bad enough, and if not, well, you'll eat your peas and wash your plate once you return from your punishment of one year in hell with Krampus. Yeah, unless you're Stingy Jack, who couldn't be sent to heaven or hell. Stingy Jack! I love our Halloween episodes. Me too. Ooh. For every ounce of jolly in Santa's big old jelly belly, there are two ounces of sour in Krampus. It sounds like you're sharing a favorite holiday recipe right now. <laughs> Combine in a large mixing bowl, one part jolly jelly to two parts sour. Hmm. I'm imagining using an ice cream scooper to go bloop, bloop, and scoop out Christmas colored jello from Santa's belly. Aw, and it's a special Christmas themed ice cream scoop. <gasps> yeah. Maybe Mrs. Claus is on the handle. Mm -hmm. You do not want to mix this scoop up with your regular ice cream scoops. <laughs> 
Ask me how I know. <laughs> By his looks alone, some might confuse Krampus with the devil. They both have the horns of a goat and cloven hooves on their feet. But Krampus is thought to have originated in pre-Christian Alpine traditions and is usually covered in a thick coat of dark shaggy hair with a long red tongue lolling out of his mouth. All the better to lap up those bad kid tears. Off to a good start. It gets better. Yes. Krampus can be spotted carrying a bundle of sticks or a switch for whacking bad children about the shins until they promise to stop. You have my complete attention now. <laughs> <laughs> Tying tin cans to the tail of the neighborhood cat. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Leave the neighborhood cat out of this, Krampus. No, 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 no. Krampus whacks the kiddos till they promise to stop harassing the neighborhood cat. Oh, eh, just kill him, Krampus. You're wasting time and energy here. <laughs> Or maybe it's not cats. Maybe they're hacking into overseas bank accounts. Whatever mischief kids get up to these days. Oh, uh, I believe it's pronounced hack soaring, mm. which mm -hmm. is the joke that 0.05% of our audience will get. <laughs> Krampus often has a large basket or sack, just like St. Nick. Only this one is for stuffing bad kiddos into. And just like Santa's reindeer, Krampus is usually decked out in bells. Sometimes giant and kind of lewdly shaped bells. Ugh. I have no idea what you're getting at, madam, as I clutch my pearls. My lewdly shaped pearls. <laughs> so as Christmas Eve approaches, if you hear the clatter of hooves up on the roof and the jingle jangle of bells. No. Oh, that big, huh? Huge. Think real hard about if you've been good or bad, because it might not be Santa who's paying you a visit. Now, maybe the thought of a demonic goat man covered in bells is too much of a strain for your imagination. Or maybe he kind of does it for you, and you wouldn't consider a visit from him punishment. I don't know your life. <laughs> Perhaps you need to be motivated by something a little more tangible. Or you're from Iceland during the Dark Ages, in which case you might get a visit from Grilla and the Yule Cat. In medieval Iceland, everyone had to pitch in to ensure survival. If someone wasn't pulling their weight, a lot of lives were on the line, especially the life of the person who'd been slacking off because they might fall victim to Grilla and her Yule cat. Like Krampus, Grilla is a dark, menacing creature who is thought to sniff out and bring punishment to those in need of a lesson. But Grilla doesn't need horns or a long tongue to be scary because she is thought to be some sort of hideous troll or giantess who lives in a cave in the mountains. So she is huge and has an insatiable appetite for flesh. Yeah. <laughs> now we're talking. <laughs> If you were a mischievous child in medieval Iceland, you'd better watch your ass, because if you were bad, Grilla would come for you and drag you off to be cooked into a stew in a large pot before being devoured. Ah, yes, you'd get the old lobster treatment. <laughs> a fate worse than taffification. Taffification! <laughs> Maybe you're not mischievous per se, but you're not making anyone's lives any easier all the same because you, my friend, are lazy. Why are you looking at me when you say that? <laughs> Keep your eyes on your own notes, honey. <laughs> well, you might be out of Greta's grasp for now, but that doesn't exactly mean you're safe because giant trolls have giant pets. 
Krampus and Grilla's is a cat. <gasps> Move over, Krampus. I've got a new Christmas anti-hero now. Mm-hmm. But if you're thinking to yourself, cats are cute. They're not scary. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you've never witnessed a cat batting and biting and smashing a little helpless bug or mouse Ooh. across the floor before crunching it up in its needly sharp teeth. Ew. You probably never met my old cat, Oni. Ooh, she was one crazy biatch. But if you think cats are cute or harmless, imagine a cat that's taller than the tallest building you can see, taller than the tree line, an enormous and hungry cat prowling the countryside in search of you. It's dinner. What? Cats don't eat people. Didn't you get the memo from the Cat Human Summit of Peace and Tranquility of 1991? <laughs> the what now? Cats made a sacred bond to never eat us, as long as we spoil them and dote on them and treat them better than other humans and brush their coats five times a day and file their nails once a week and make them standing appointments with the best hairstylists in town. And Are you doing all of this for your cats? You know, that sounds kind of like a disapproving tone, and I don't think that my lord, I mean my cat, would approve. Never mind. Forget I said anything. That's great. All of that is great. Don't mm. change a thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe check in with them when you're doing the nail filing to see if they want some polish on those little nails as well. Oh, yeah. Good idea. <clears throat> So clearly your cats have voted to keep the peace, as long as they're being treated like royalty. But as good as Grilla is at sniffing out bad children, the Yule cat has an eye for fashion trend violators, and this cat isn't so nice. During the Dark Ages in Iceland, the wool industry was incredibly important, and if you didn't help out in making everyone's clothes for the next year, then I hope you like last year's fashions because you wouldn't be receiving any new clothes either. Now, it seems that the Yule Cat had its finger on the pulse of medieval Icelandic fashion trends because if it spotted you traipsing around in last year's slippers or coat, you were as good as a mouse or bug to this giant beast of a feline, mm. and it would track you down and crunch you up mm. between its giant, sharp teeth. No! Swallowing down your mangled bits for its supper. Those are my favorite bits. <laughs> <laughs> there is another version of the tale of the Yule Cat where it eats only the dinner of those who didn't earn their new clothes for the coming year, but where's the fun in that? This yeah. is death party here, people. We have an image to uphold. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Now, maybe knitting socks is totally your thing, so you're pretty sure you're safe from the Yule Cat this year. You've got a bunch of fancy wool because you live in Portland, so naturally you have a couple pet alpacas that share the house with you. But you just haven't had time to spin it all into yarn yet. The kitchen is a mess from all your holiday baking this year, and as you gaze out the window wishing your dirty dishes would clean themselves, you notice that your fancy pants neighbor outdid your Christmas decorations yet again this year. You're sick of it. I'm sick of it. <laughs> Instead of putting away your unspun yarn or cleaning up your disaster of a kitchen, you sneak over to your neighbor's yard under the cover of darkness, out to where her majestic herd of wicker reindeer yard ornaments stand, and rip them into pieces. <laughs> Chuckling to yourself, you tie the reindeer's heads back on where their butts should be, Ooh. and put their butts where their heads should be. <gasps> Chaos. 
We'll see whose yard display is better this year, you cackled to yourself with glee, but not for long. Krampus has started to make a comeback in recent years because there are so many a-holes in need of punishment around these days. He's definitely needed. So some of you have likely heard of him. But as usual, behind every great man is a great woman that doesn't get any damn credit. Mm-hmm. So you probably haven't heard of Frau Perchta. If you had, you would have finished making that yarn, cleaned your kitchen twice, and left your neighbor's yard decorations alone, you savage! Frau Perchta's origins are likely that of at least one goddess in Alpine pagan lore, and as such, she is of a dual nature, sure to keep you on your toes. If you've been good all year and worked hard, except when you were supposed to be taking time off, she wants you to keep that work-life balance. She may appear to you as a beautiful glowing white maiden and leave you a silver coin in your shoe. But as we established earlier, your kitchen is a wreck from all that holiday cooking. Hmm. Frau Perchta is very concerned with the state of the home, and yours just isn't up to snuff. To those who haven't done as they should, Frau Perchta might show up as an old crone dressed in rags. Why do I feel like that has a negative connotation? Sometimes she looks like a Halloween hag with a long, pointy nose. Okay, that is definitely meant to be rude. (laughs) And frankly, I think as long as we're on the subject, we should take Crone back. Can we do that? I think we already have, actually. Who did? Um, I want names. Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) All the Crones on Instagram are just working their s***. And I have no idea. I was thinking, I was just saying this the other day to this dude, our engineer over here, my roommate, who, um, (laughs) that uh, wizard, like, to be called a wizard is always a good thing. Like, oh, he's a whiz. He's a wizard Mm. at the computer. He's a wizard. But being called a witch is usually bad. Right. Unless you're... Well, because we live in a patriarchal society that's afraid of powerful women. Yeah. But I never really, like, put those pieces together before. Like, there's Mm. never a bad wizard. There could be, like, a dark wizard. Mm. Like, bad guy wizard. It's not like, he's the wizard. Well, just leave it up to you what kind of wizard Mm. he is. It's like, no! Mm -hmm. This guy sucks. Right. And we're going to give you more information so you know that. Whereas witch, it's like, I feel like you mean that in a bad way, but I can't really Like, historically, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess it depends on what platform you're on. Because <laughs> when I'm on Instagram, like it's all just people collecting crystals and like. I mean, yeah, putting water under the full moon and. Sh- in but. more modern times, but it's also the circle that you run in. Right, because which, which is right, <laughs> but like outside of that circle, you know, I feel like which is still. Right. Other times, her nose is so long and so pointy that it's more of a beak, and she resembles a half-human, half-bird-like creature. Hey, that doesn't sound flattering either. Um, it's spooky as hell, though. Oh. She's badass. All right, I'll take that. <laughs> Frau Perkta is also known as the spinning room lady, which sounds creepier and creepier the more I think about it. And as such, she pays special attention to spinners. So even though you tucked all that unspun alpaca wool under the table next to the couch, she knows you didn't finish your work. And once more, you have caught a glance by her disapproving beak. Hmm. At this point, she knows that you've been lazy and messy. 
Not only that, but worst of all, Frau Perchta knows that you've been bad. She saw how you savagely attacked the defenseless wicker reindeer in your neighbor's yard. You had it coming. <laughs> and like Grampus, she takes special pleasure in punishing those who are naughty. I mean, I don't want to kink shame <laughs> Frau Perchta here. Wait till you hear the kink. Oh, she. Now, if you were offended by Krampus hitting kids with sticks, nah. you might want to plug your ears for a minute because Frau Perta is not f***ing around. Oh. Beneath the folds of her skirts, she carries a long knife. And under the cloak of night, she steals into the bedrooms of those in need of punishment and slits their bellies open, Whoa! removing their intestines Ooh. and filling their carcass with rocks, sticks, and straw. Uh, yep. <laughs> okay. Frau Perchte is the ultimate matriarch. You know, if more of us were comfortable harnessing our inner Frau Perchte, the world wouldn't be in the sad state it is today, I tell ya. Mm, 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 mm. Death, death, death. Indeed. Yeah. This one is uh, highly reminiscent of those Hans Christian Andersen fairy tales, mm -hmm. which were roughly 15% fairy magic and like 85% Bummerville population <laughs> you. Mm -hmm. Did you know Cinderella's stepsisters slice off their feet to try to cram into the prince's glass slipper? Oh, yeah. A much better story, if you ask me. I'd like to see Disney put that in one of their movies nowadays. Ooh. You hear me, Disney? That's if you even have the balls, you yellow-bellied milk toasts. <laughs> <laughs> they might not have the balls, but they did have the dick. They put it on the cover of The Little Mermaid. True. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, who are all these sadistic weirdos? What about Santa Claus? Well, this is a podcast about death, so we'll discuss jolly old Saint Nick. But before we do... If you're at the age where you're waiting for him to leave you presents under the tree, does your mother know you listen to this podcast? Hmm. Turn it off right now, you monster. Take your vitamins and go to bed. It's past your bedtime. Are they gone? Yeah, they left. Okay, good. Because the truth is about to drop. Let's backtrack a little and begin at the beginning. Why start now? I know. <laughs> <laughs> Historians think that Santa Claus, as we know him today, is an amalgamation of different dudes, myths, and origins, and one of them was also a weirdo who flew through the night sky in a sleigh pulled by, well, not exactly reindeer. The Festival of Yule, celebrated on the last 12 days of December, pays tribute to many of the old gods, but particularly is ruled over by the Norse god Odin. Ancient Vikings and, hey, Goths, <laughs> considered the period before Yule to be a time of heightened supernatural activity. Yeah. If you've ever played Skyrim, you're familiar with the undead creatures called Dragger, which used to wander the earth at this time. Magic was more potent around Yule. Indeed. And this is partly because at the end of the year, when the world is cold and dark and still... The barrier between our world and that of monsters is still thin. It's not only the case at the end of October. Yet another force that might have you looking back over your shoulder on a cold winter night is the old Norse pagan god Odin. 
Odin is a war god and associated with something called the Wild Hunt, which involved him flying through the sky at night at the end of December. He is accompanied by his magical horse who pulls him in a sleigh. Sound familiar, Christmas? (gasps) His horse, named Sleipnir, has eight legs and Viking runes carved into his teeth. So totally badass. He has eight legs carved into his teeth? Those must have been some huge-ass teeth. Or huge leg teeth. What? Okay, now I'm picturing a dude with, like, instead of teeth in his mouth, his teeth have all been replaced by the base of the sexy leg lamp from a Christmas story. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I see why this is confusing. The horse has eight legs. Mm Mm-hmm. And he has Viking runes carved into his teeth. Oh, uh, yeah. Which, yeah. Okay. Mm. Which is still weird. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not as weird as. Okay. Anyway, horse teeth are enormous. Have you ever been bit by a horse? No. I only almost got bit by a horse once. What did you do to that horse? <laughs> I wasn't doing anything. It was a mean ass horse. <laughs> Maybe that horse is like, this is one mean-ass human. (laughs) He just didn't want any of what I was bringing. Apparently. Anyway, I remember their teeth are like the size of my whole face. Hmm. If he had managed to actually bite me, I'm pretty sure he would have eaten my entire arm. And that was just a normal horse. Not even a god horse with eight legs. Just so you know who you're dealing with. You know who else has eight legs? Spiders. And while they are beneficial insects that keep other gross and annoying insect populations down, they are also creepy. And crawly. Mm -hmm. And twitchy. The worst. The ones with leg hairs are the worst. No. The ones with smooth, spindly legs. (laughs) Am I trying to kid? They're all the worst. (laughs) Yep. The ones that are just ridiculously toxic for no damn reason, Mm -hmm. I think might be the worst. Or maybe the giant ones that are the size of a large dog and come down from the ceiling in the middle of the night, but then vanish when you try and focus your eyes on them. Those... Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> you haven't seen the giant interdimensional spiders? No. Look them up. They're a thing. No, I don't want to do that. <laughs> also, what does this even have to do with Christmas or Yule? <laughs> Nothing, but it's creepy. Yeah. Horses shouldn't have eight legs. You know who else has eight of something? Oh, uh, wait. Um, Let me guess. Is it, let me guess it, Santa? Correct! Prior to 1939, Santa, who, may I remind you, also flies through the sky at the end of December in a sleigh, had eight reindeer pulling his sleigh. Which is way less creepy than telling little kids about one horse with eight legs that's coming to visit them, so I can see why they made the change. But I think we should bring the Christmas spider horse back into style. I think we should not. (laughs) 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 Even before Santa was jolly and fat and had eight reindeer, he was gaunt with a long white beard and rode around on a horse giving out magical gifts. Coincidence? Maybe. Oh, probably not by the look on your face. Now you're getting it. The Festival of Yule traditionally honors all of the gods, but Odin is the god of the hour. Sounds like a metal song, like some really overachieving symphonic metal right there. God of the hour, 
is a holy time that celebrates the rebirth of the sun as the days begin to grow longer again. People gather and feast, exchanging gifts and celebrating winter coming to an end, much like our modern Christmas. <laughs> Boring. Oh, that's the subject of this episode. Never mind. It's great. <laughs> We're doing great. <laughs> to appease restless spirits and gods alike, the Vikings held ceremonies that included sacrifices of various plants, animals, and beverages. Hmm. Feel like the site I glean that from kind of buried the lead, uh, <laughs> ending with the beverage sacrifices. But eh, why fix it now? <laughs> How does one even sacrifice a beverage? Doesn't the term sacrifice imply something that's alive? Hmm. I mean, I know we have raw juice and whatnot, but aren't we stretching this definition a little too far? I'm picturing some high priest dressed in robes and anointed with blood, standing over an altar flanked by pillars of fire Whoa. and holding aloft a giant dagger. Then, as the chanting from all around him reaches a climax, he plunges the dagger down into a chalice of Gatorade <laughs> or milk or whatever, and the gods are appeased. Mm. Either that or he just pours one out for his homies. I think the first one's a little better. Yeah. I guess it depends on the god you're sacrificing it to, what the uh, what the plan of action is there. The best part of Yule, in my opinion, is the wild hunt, which involves Odin flying through the sky on his magically f***ed up horse with carved teeth and eight legs. As they race across the night skies, they are accompanied by a horde of lesser gods, wicked fairies and elves, beasts and spirits out for revenge. They could be seen in the deathly approach of winter storms, and if you saw it with your naked eyes, it was a terrible omen. If you were in the gods' favor when the wild hunt came through, you might receive a most wondrous gift from Odin, made by his magical elves and dwarves. One of these was Thor's hammer. But if Odin didn't approve of you, a horrible fate would befall you for sure. Best to stay indoors and shield your eyes from the magical forces out in the night sky at the end of December. We're not supposed to stay up late and risk spotting Santa Claus either, now are we? Hmm, interesting. Indeed. So Yule was totes its own thing before its meaning was sapped, unless it was accompanied by the word log. <sighs> the combination of long nights and dipping temperatures meant to many that this was a time when the dead would have particularly good access to the living. Yeah, so you better pour one out for them or else. That was totally a thing we already said, but hey, let's uh, say They again. weren't paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> And if that wasn't enough death symbolism for you, the symbolic reference and theme of the death of the sun, our source of life, during the winter solstice when darkness is greatest, and its rebirth, a.k.a. rising from the dead, has become central to all of the major and minor cultures and their traditions from ancient times until now. Hmm. In Babylon and other civilizations, the festivals and sacrifices that took place were based out of a primal fear that the sun might never return without human intervention or pleading to the god of the sun. Human as well as animal sacrifice became an early tradition of these cultures during winter solstice, tying this time of the year to blood sacrifice at the death of the sun in order to bring about its resurrection and the beginning of new life. Hey, there were only so many ways to show your appreciation back in the day. 
It's not like you could just call up the local florist and tell them, oh, hi, do you have any arrangements that are appropriate for like a thank you, I really appreciate you type of gift or, you know, um, maybe just something that says, in lieu of sacrificing mammoth beasts, I got you these flowers. <laughs> Hope you like them. Man, I feel like getting a card in the mail on time is a lot of work. I'm lucky I wasn't born sooner. Hmm? Hmm. Now, you may be familiar with Yule time and Yule tidings and Yule logs, but what hasn't been so well preserved over the centuries is the tradition of the Yule goat. Rude! Indeed, the Yule goat is all but forgotten amongst the traditions of hanging mistletoe and challenging the paper girl to punch you in the gut as hard as possible. Wait, you have the paper girl punch you in the stomach as hard as possible over Christmas? Yeah, doesn't everyone? No. I don't think anyone does that, actually. I think it's safe to say you're the only one who does. Oh, well, I don't see any reason to stop now. The paper girl really seems to get a kick out of it. How long has this been going on? Uh, she's a paper woman now. Who told you that this is a time-honored Christmas tradition that you should uphold? So this isn't a touching tribute to Harry Houdini's death? Harry Houdini died on Halloween. So what you're saying is we should move this tradition to Halloween. It's not a terrible idea, but what I am saying is I think the paper girl woman pulled one over on you. But my paper's always delivered on time. No need to change now. Phew. The Yule Goat's origins are a bit on the hazy side, but one of the prevailing theories is that it stems from Norse mythology, particularly the stories of Thor. Thor had mystical goats, and in a fashion not unlike that of a certain jolly fat man in a red suit. Thor's goats drew the god of thunder's chariot through the sky. How do goats drag a chariot across the sky, you ask? The same way an eight-legged horse draws a chariot through the sky, clearly. Norse god magic, let's say. That's usually my answer for everything I don't understand. Magnets? Norse god magic. Why the same cake recipe always has slightly different results at the end. Norse god magic. Yes, and as we all know, Norse god magic is the magic of the coniferous trees and horned animals and all that other pervasive stuff that's easily found in Norse country. Herring? Herring. Anyway, in case there hasn't been enough death for you in this episode yet, don't worry. We want our show to live up to its name, so we're rounding the corner on it right now. Now! Thor was the food provider for the gods, like a godly catering manager, if you will. Although if you've worked in hospitality for as long as I have, you know those people couldn't be further from gods, but I digress. Sometimes Thor would, you know, as you do, serve the other gods his pets. What? His goats. His pet goats. Hmm. His god feast consisted of his goat pets. Mm. No. Why, Thor? Why? <laughs> However, in a surprise move that kind of makes the goat slaughter seem sort of cute and not like such a raw deal for the goats, mm -hmm. Thor made sure to preserve their bones so they could regenerate the following morning. Oh, well, there you go then. It barely counts. Yeah, because, you know, that was a thing, I guess. The article had no additional context for that. So, um, do you just keep the bones? Regenerate you some goats. Happy Yule, everybody! I'm gonna try it. And in case you're wondering, or even if you're not, you still need to know this anyway. The goats' names 
were Gap Tooth and Tooth Grinder, <laughs> putting a tidy bow on how much more important these goats were than your average goat. They had names! Remnants of the Yule Goat legend still persist in Scandinavia. Goat decorations, often made with straw and red ribbons, are easy to spot around Christmas in countries like Norway, Sweden, and Finland. And if this tradition doesn't have enough wicker man reminiscent elements to it for you, then good news! There's a town called Jevle in Sweden, which has, for every year since 1966, built a giant straw goat, the fate of which ends uh, about half the time in fire. Oh, I've seen that. Don't they put barricades around it now to try and preserve it, but someone always sneaks in and torches it or something? Yeah, pretty much. In Britain, they actually make bets about whether or not it's going to burn ahead of time. Hmm. I mean, kind of seems like British people will bet on anything. I mean, if you don't want your giant goat effigy lit on fire, maybe don't build a giant goat effigy? Now you're just talking nonsense. Older Yule goat celebrations in Sweden celebrated the sacrifice and rebirth of Thor's goats. During the ancient Yule sacrifice festival of Yule <laughs> someone would dress up in goat skins and carry a goat head effigy while they walked to a symbolic slaughter. Yeah! Hey! It's like I always say, it's not a party until the effigies show up. <laughs> You're invited. Ten till dawn. BYO effigy. Come on, ride the effigy train and ride it. <laughs> Come on down to Effigy Warehouse. We've got an effigy special on go effigies. <laughs> Buy one effigy, get one ritualistic cup of milk sacrifice on the house. What house? Warehouse. Effigy Warehouse! <laughs> it's the holiday season. Don't forget to tip your effigy delivery person. <laughs> of course, the symbolic resurrection followed the slaughter as a way of paying homage to ancient customs, observing the death and rebirth of the sun, which is basically what Yule is all about. What with it being on the winter solstice and all. Mm -hmm. Eventually, Christians discovered this ancient pagan celebration and were all, Oh, you think you're going to have some fun, huh? That's not how we do things. <gasps> so that's not how you do things either. <gasps> I was raised Catholic, so don't worry. I've done my research on this <laughs> subject for much of my life. Uh, Mike Burb. Biglia has a really hilarious bit about the Catholic take on fun, and it's uh, it's pretty on the nose. Mm. We'll do a little link in the show notes. Go to deathpartypodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom. Click on show notes. Then conduct a find using your control <laughs> button because it's lots of words. You can figure it out. Yep. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> We're ruined for you. So in classic Christian, no funning around here fashion, by the 17th century, the church had started spreading it around that the Yule goat was a demon and spread tales of this evil goat harassing Christians throughout Sweden, which to their credit does take some imagination. Sure, we have the movie The Witch now to strike goat terror into our hearts. Oh, Black Philip. But it had to have taken no small amount of convincing back then to say, yeah, they got this goat, an evil goat, and it's terrorizing Christians. Save yourself from the evil goat. <laughs> 
Can you imagine trying to convince whole villages to hide in fear of a goat? One mother-loving goat! Hmm. Oh, it just smells the worst. Its milk isn't anywhere near as good as cow's milk. That part's true. It's got that weird slit-eyed thing happening. Do you trust any animals with slit eyes? No? I rest my case. They're still all down on goats. I've always wondered what that was about. Now, if this goat slander sounds like a tale of woe and wretchedness, you're not wrong. But you would be wrong if you think that Christmas time's tales of woe and wretchedness ended there. Ooh. Nay, tales of woe and wretchedness were in fact much more often told around Christmas and Victorian times than they are today. As the darkest, coldest, bleakest time of the year, December was long thought of as a time when the veil Shroud. was thin and the long nights meant more time for monsters and spirits to walk among us. Yeah. And if that last comment just made you think of a video game, you really might want to try getting out more. What video game? Among Us. It's, it's a Gen Z joke. I put one in there for the kids. <laughs> okay. They'll know. I'm too old to get it. You are. So like Yule, Saturnalia, and pretty much every other holiday the pagans ever had, the Christians were sort of okay with it happening as long as it was about Jesus or the church or whatever was going to get people to go along with converting to Christianity and being less wild. Conifers trees. <laughs> But that meant no monsters, no blood sacrifices, and no wild hunt. Aww. Over time, the church took the people's worship of old pagan gods like Odin and the customs around Yule and Saturnalia and swapped them out for practices that were a bit more... <clears throat> civilized. <clears throat> Since Odin is a god not of the church, they couldn't leave him hanging around. But who to replace him with? Who indeed... At this point, the legend of Santa Claus goes back only hundreds of years to a monk named St. Nicholas, who is the subject of many legends today. The story goes that he was a big softy who gave away all of his inherited wealth and traveled the countryside, helping the poor and the sick. Is it a story by Christians? Mm -hmm. We all know how they like to make themselves look good. I mean, not to point the finger here. I was raised Christian, but, you know, the whole holier-than-thou thing can get just a twinge extra sometimes. Mm. I don't mean any offense. You gotta sell the dream if you want those converts. And Christian missionaries weren't the only ones guilty of exaggerating for fun and profit. But as far as historical accuracy goes, well, take it with a grain of salt, folks. Yeah, true. History is written by the winner, and the winner usually killed the other guy, so who knows. But as far as we currently know, one of the most well-known stories about St. Nicholas tells the tale of three poor sisters who were destined to be sold into slavery or prostitution by their father because that's how greedy old white men wanted things to go back then. And still do. And that was all us complete and utterly useless women were good for back in the day. Hashtag not girl power. Yep, probably still. What are we doing making a podcast? We should be in the kitchen tidying up or scrubbing pig shit out of something. But anyhow, back when women stayed in their place, good old Saint Nick swooped in and put gold coins in the poor girl's stockings, which were hung by the fire to dry. Excuse me, 
hung by the chimney with care. Sound familiar? It does. Thus, he provided them with a dowry so they could be married off instead. So, a slightly less terrible option depending on who you were married off to. Hopefully, they liked whoever they got married off to with those gold coins. The odds weren't great for that back then either because we're just women and we don't count. I remember the first time I learned that I didn't count as a woman. Wow, seems like just yes. No, who am I kidding? I don't remember that any better than I remember my first adult tooth coming in. It was probably around the same time, come to think of it. Mm -hmm. I always wished that it would be the sexy leg from a Christmas story. But <laughs> instead, I was cursed with this mouthful of perfect teeth. <laughs> so, the tale is told by old white men and their followers, at the very least, that St. Nick helped keep people from dying back in the day because he shared his resources with others who had less than he did. Hmm. And that's what people are talking about when they say the Christmas spirit, which, regardless of whether it's historically accurate or not, is great. I always prefer when the term spirit refers to hauntings, but I'll make an exception just this once. That's the spirit. Aww. As long as we're on the subject of traditional Christmas festivities, what traditional Christmas would be complete without some kind of retelling of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol? Those creepy, <laughs> kooky, spooky, inuki Victorians really helped make the tradition of the ghost story last into modern times. My people. By the early 20th century, a veritable plethora of Christmas gift books were published. These consisted exclusively of ghost stories, and these ghost stories were written by such notable and respected authors as Nathaniel Hawthorne, Mary Shelley, and even the granddaddy of Spookanook his damn self, old Eddie Poe. Edward! I loved our episode eight, even if it didn't have an ending. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You may be surprised to learn that another great writer, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, actually introduced the character of Sherlock Holmes in one of these creepy Christmas books. Man, I've gotten <laughs> increasingly more disillusioned with Christmas over the years due to capitalism's hell-bent and unrelenting focus on the consume, buy, and consume some more facets of Christmasing. Mm. But... The research for this episode has given me hope that all is not lost for Christmas's redemption. Yay! If I had known that the historically accurate way to celebrate Christmas was by gathering a bunch of friends around a crackling fire and trying to scare the ever-loving Yule log out of them, <laughs> well, I wouldn't have fallen off the bingle gel, jingle bell, balls of <laughs> boughs of holly bandwagon long, long ago. <laughs> Amen, brother. <laughs> this is some life goals shit right here for realsies. Like, get the realtor on the phone. Yeah, the realtor. You know, the one I keep on retainer for house buying emergencies. <laughs> yes, uh, Miss Realtor person, professional realtor lady. Hi, yes, it's me. I would like to add a dedicated room to tell creepy ghost stories around a crackling fire to my future home wish list. Yeah. Yes, and uh, please make sure it can only be accessed by pulling a secret lever made out of a book hidden on a dusty old bookcase. Um, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders? Great. Thanks. 
<laughs> okay, bye. Since we haven't got the time to give a comprehensive rundown of every death-related Christmas tradition. There's just so many. We'll just cram a few more in here real quick. Mary Lloyd is a Welsh tradition that has people going door to door challenging residents to a rhyming battle of wits. Yes, rap battle. In case you're thinking, oh, okay, yeah, I know that one. It's caroling, right? You're wrong. Actually, Mary Lloyd is a dead horse that rises from the grave. Because. <laughs> <Wait. laughs> How do horses laugh? <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, after having been living under dirt for the past such and such amount of time, you know what my horse yes would want to do? Rhyme battle. Mm -hmm. Ooh, can't go too long without that one. It's like holding your pee. It's true. Better on the old internal organs to just get it all out as soon as possible. Pee, vicious rhymes, whatever it is, you just got to immediately share it with the world. Or toilet, as the case may be. Yeah. In the true spirit of Christmas and being super weird, poor Welsh folks would carry the skull of a horse on a stick, adorned with Christmas baubles and holly or mistletoe, and go door to door challenging the wealthier inhabitants to a Welsh rap battle. If the horse head wins, you have to let it in so it can drink your beer and raid your pantry. If you won, the cold, sad head would have to trot its merry way off to the next house and try again. Mm. I've known about this tradition for a few years, but for some reason this year, the weird Welsh Christmas spirit really grabbed me, and I had to make one. If you're interested in seeing it, or having trouble imagining what a horse head with Christmas ornaments on it looks like, I'll put a link in the show notes. No, oh, it made our local paper, too. It did make You're paper. a local paper celeb. Small town famous. Small town famous. <laughs> Big town personality. <laughs> Big town horse heads. <laughs> ah, do you smell that? What? Did you? What? No, it smells like Christmas. Oh, phew. This is a small room, and with the door closed for recording, you had me worried there for a sec. Do you know what that spicy scent is? Do tell. Why, none other than a homemade orange and clove pomander, of course. Oh, I used to make those as a kid for some reason. Yes, kind of weird. Uh, for those who didn't make them as kiddos, picture an orange studded with cloves and hung by a ribbon. It's smellier than mistletoe and nearly as ubiquitous. Which reminds me, do you know death's tie-in to mistletoe? No. Well, you're gonna have to wait because I'm trying to talk to you about cloves and oranges right now. What? Rude. <laughs> okay, so aside from being tasty and festive in a wintry beverage, the popularity of clove-studded oranges originated hundreds of years ago from ye old medieval times when the E's were not silent. <sighs> Back then, physicians subscribed to miasma theory, which is another way of saying they thought that corrupted air caused people to die of the plague, and so the air needed to be disinfected to spare people this unsightly demise. Mm. I know. It's so hard to imagine a world where people actually believed physicians and followed their advice to avoid plagues. Right? Naturally, your average surfer dirt farmer would be interested in living to dirt farm another day. And so they would want to take care of all of that corrupted air they might otherwise be inhaling. Mm -hmm. 
poor folk would use myrrh or substitute different ingredients for a more affordable disinfection accessory, whereas fancy pants wearers of deeper pockets would sport a genuine amber pomander with aloes, rose water, and other more exotic additions to complement their pre-pasteurization era statement necklace. What a hassle. You gotta make this heavily scented orange ball, wear it around your neck all day, and you still catch the damn plague. Because, you know, it didn't actually offer any protection against that plague. So it helped in roughly mm, 0% of the cases. Are you seeing any parallels to the modern plague we're fighting, or do I have plague brain? A year and three quarters long case of plague brain. Are you talking about horse dewormer? <sighs> if it's something else, I can't help you. I have plague brain too, and I can't remember what I had for dinner last week. It wasn't horse dewormer, though. <laughs> was it bingle gel? <laughs> it was scoops of bingle gel. Whoa. Use your bingle gel ice cream scoop. <laughs> And while we're on the subject of ye old medieval times, Santa wasn't the first Christmassy type person to make a stealthy entrance through a hot stack of bricks. <laughs> I'm going to start calling people a hot stack of bricks. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's a compliment or an insult, but either way, it needs to be a thing that people say. Hey, why choose one? True. In the 1400s, it was widely believed that witches would enter a domicile chimney first. There was also a bunch of other magical or supernatural travelers who were believed to use chimneys for transportation. Maybe even blues travelers. No! Like fairies and elves, too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I had to say that just then, but I did. I did! There were also a bunch of other magical or supernatural travelers who were believed to use chimneys for transportation. Like fairies and elves, too. Throughout European folklore, the hearth and chimney act as a liminal space connecting the natural and supernatural worlds. According to legend, many supernatural creatures exploit this special intermediary space to enter homes, depending on the creature, for good or malicious intent. So there you go, more thin shroud stuff. Spooky. Yeah. Jolly old fat man with a penchant for wearing red? Or supernatural ne'er-do-well with sinister schemes. You be the judge. Okay. Do you ever look up when you're smooching someone under some green thing and think, Ah! Imminent death! <laughs> Always. Well, Fadas and you can too after you hear this next story about <laughs> mistletoe leading to the untimely demise of the Norse god Alder. I'm going to go ahead and summarize the legend for you because it's a little flowery for this show, frankly. But basically, it all started with a prediction of his death. Good enough for me. As so often happens in these stories, this prediction concerned Baldur as well as his mom, Frigg. Frigg being a little bit of a worrier, apparently. Relatable. Went up to all living things, including plants, and was like, Hey, don't kill my son, please. <laughs> and all living things were like, sounds great. We'll just keep hanging out over here, thriving via photosynthesis or what have you. And Freak was like, thanks. I really appreciate it. But Loki, the god of mischief, was like, 
I'm going to do what I do best and f*** up some shit right here. <laughs> and shapeshifted into an unrecognizable being so as to find some way to secretly murder Balder because, I don't know, apparently that's just this guy's idea of fun? Dudes, am I right? Loki approached Frigg with a question that was more or less, did you really make everything promise not to kill Balder? And Frigg was like, Ah, uh, there was some young mistletoe over by the reindeer. Or whatever creatures will better help the audience visualize this in their mind's eye. It seemed pretty harmless, so I didn't bother to make it promise not to be lethal to my beloved son, who I'm trying not to get killed. Why, was that a loophole or something? Do you think I should have asked the mistletoe? Shrug. So Loki tricks someone else into shooting some mistletoe into Baldur with a bow, killing him. And Frigg is all, well, couldn't possibly have seen that one coming. <laughs> but don't cry for Baldur because, uh, one, death is a natural consequence of living, even though stories like this will have you believe it's some kind of punishment. And two, anyway, in a lot of tellings of this story, and much like in the modern day comic book versions, dead isn't dead, and Baldur is somehow revived and lives to die another day. Frigg then decides that mistletoe should never again be used for murdering someone, and so declares the plant a symbol of love meant to be kissed under. Oh, and also, Greeks have been locking lips under mistletoe since they've been celebrating the festival of Saturnalia, but there's no death in that reference, so it becomes an honorable mention, and only because of the convenient Saturnalia tie-in. Told you so! If you're like us and are still mourning the end of Halloween, we hope we've given you a little something to take the edge off. Because Christmas is secretly just as wonderfully horrible and gruesome, filled with fear and death and wicked things reaching for you from beyond the veil. Shroud. Shroud. The Christmas Shroud. <laughs> yeah. And we've given you lots of good ideas on how to celebrate Christmas the old-fashioned way, too. Stick some cloves in an orange and wear it around town like the highfalutin fancy pants you are. <laughs> Get an effigy of a goat and flip a coin to see if it'll meet a tragic and untimely end. Then make it happen. <laughs> make mistletoe kill a person. Wait, no, I mean, use mistletoe for good, not evil. Phew, that was a close one. <laughs> Hide under your bed in fear of an old hag filling your belly full of sticks and rocks. <laughs> <laughs> Terrorize and or cannibalize some small children who've been naughty. Wow, you know, <laughs> I was just wondering if it would be frowned upon to tell people to hit bad kids in the foot with a stick, but... You just went there. <laughs> of course, I mean terrorize and or cannibalize small children figuratively. Aha. Don't literally do it. That's <laughs> ick. And if this episode has gotten you all warm and fuzzy, maybe because you're imagining yourself nose deep in tooth grinder's fur, <laughs> please pay that holiday spirit forward and leave us a review wherever you listen. If you managed to make it this far. <laughs> 26 hours later after we started. <laughs> Especially if where you listen happens to be Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Yes, because yes, Spotify finally just started doing podcast reviews. Oh. And we need to work some Christmas magic to get free of Krampus's sack and back out into the world where we can run amok amongst the other naughty children. <laughs> you can help us get that freedom, dear listener, by spreading the word about our show. 
Tell a friend about us or be the first one on Spotify to leave one of them reviews we've heard helps speed up the algorithm of getting noticed by other potential listeners. Who need to know how crazy Christmas really is. And more listeners means more motivation. And more motivation could eventually someday mean more frequent episodes. Yeah! And now that Eritress has asked you nicely... If you don't leave us a nice review and help others with your same weirdo sense of humor find us, well, let's just hope that Frau Perkta doesn't find you. Does threatening people with Frau Perkta make Frau Perkta come for you? I guess you'll find out tonight. <laughs>